This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to The Weekly. Welcome to this week's episode of The Weekly by Retail Insider. This is Lee Rivett, and I'm joined with the Editor-in-Chief of Retail Insider, Craig Patterson, to discuss this week's most read articles on retail-insider.com. We're currently recording on the leap year, February 29th, 2020, and we wanted to mention one of our advertisers, JLL Canada, as they're supporting the podcast for the week, and we'll have a brief message from them later on in the podcast. So thanks for joining me by phone today, Craig. Hello, everyone. Now, we have three topics we want to cover in this podcast, and the first has to do with a popular topic in the Retail Insider Brief this week related to Canada Goose pulling out of the Canadian retail chain Simons. Now, it was a kind of a sleeper sensation for us because as we published, the next day there was a whole bunch of other news outlets that were then jumping on that and publishing. So why was this so popular for everyone? Yeah, yeah, I was a bit surprised myself. Um, You know, I've been told that... uh, uh, for example, at one time in West Edmonton Mall, uh, Canada, you know, the Canada Goose sales at Simon's was, you know, the top retailer I think in Edmonton uh, at the time in terms of selling Canada Goose jackets, uh, or at least certainly for West Edmonton Mall, and that it had been quite successful. So, uh, we did know that Canada Goose was looking at, uh, you know, st- reducing its, uh, you know, wholesale distribution and also uh, expanding its own retail stores. And uh, I was a bit surprised that, you know. Simons was mm-hmm. dropped because I was told that it was tens of millions of dollars a year in sales at Simons. So, um, you know, hopefully everything there is, uh, you know, being sorted out. I think that is a bit unfortunate. It might be a bit of a sting for Simons. Yeah, and there's got to be other Canadian retailers that sell Canada Goose merchandise that are concerned with this news. You take a look at Harry Rosen, for example. We had an article and a podcast a couple months back about their launch of a Canada Goose boutique in their downtown Toronto Blur Street location. The photos in our articles were stunning. Like there's marble counters, there's all kinds of fixtures that are very on point for the um, Canada Goose brand. But that's quite a commitment from a financial perspective, as well as space and prominence perspective. So yes, I'm surprised that Simon's got the axe from Canada Goose. But what's your thought on what Harry Rosen is thinking with this news, especially with that previous commitment? That's a good question. I was thinking about that. Uh, I mean, Harry Rosen is known as being, you know, very much a first-class retailer with many luxury brands. But, you know, Simons carries luxury brands and is a really great retailer as well. Um, I'm wondering what the distribution of, you know, Canada Goose would be generally. I mean, the one difference is that Simons also had women's Canada Goose jackets and Harry Rosen being menswear retailer doesn't. Um, We did, uh, it was a couple of months ago, we reported on the um, Canada Goose shopping store that Harry Rosen had built at its Bloor Street flagship. And, uh, uh, you know, we talked at the time about Canada Goose pulling out of, uh, you know, some retailers and that this may have been an effort to, you know, keep Canada Goose as, you know, one of the brands that is carried at Harry Rosen. So um, that, you know, effort may have been there. I mean, would Simons, uh, you know, have maintained Canada Goose as a stock list if it had also built, uh, you know, very much dedicated boutiques? I I don't know. I mean, uh, it sounds like that arrangement may not really have been in play for a while anyways. And um, what's interesting is after we published that brief, um, La Presse uh, in a French language report uh, actually came out and um, journalist Marie-Yves Fournier, she's a very good journalist, she did some research and she found that um, Canada Goose had also pulled out of some sports-related retailers in Quebec, and that included, uh, you know, Sportium, or yeah, was, I think it was Sportium, or at least Sale, um, Sports Experts, which is kind of a franchise division of, of uh, well, 
Canadian Tire and, uh, you know, uh, Sport Check. And so there's a few retailers that Canada Goose had pulled out in Quebec already. And so this is definitely a trend and it's something that Canada Goose said, you know, wasn't really going to be happening to a huge uh, degree when it started opening its own actual standalone stores. Uh, I think there's eight of them in Canada now. But, uh, you know, it does appear that, yes, Canada Goose is, you know, reducing its distribution in wholesalers and is, you know, <laughs> beefing up its own retail operations, which have a higher profit margin generally. Well, and there might be other categories or things at play that we're unaware of, like the, the wholesale agreement between Simons and Canada Goose might have come up for renewal, and this might oh. have been just timing as well, so... Who knows? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I have no idea what the arrangement would have been there. Yeah. Uh, just go to the contract. <laughs> yeah. And just a quick word from our sponsor for the podcast, which is JLL Canada. What's your ambition? Visit jll.ca to see how JLL is here to create rewarding opportunities and amazing spaces around the globe where people can achieve their ambitions. And the second article we wanted to talk about was Victoria's Secret Quietly Closing Stores in Canada. And for me, it was a surprise just because when you think back to when, let's say, the Vancouver location opened, there was nothing quiet about that at all. And there's quite a like, ethos about Victoria's Secret, like as far as big, posh, brand, glitzy, all that kind of stuff. So, Craig, like I was surprised to, to hear about this, but what's your thought on like, why are they closing? Is it because of competition or is it because of poor sales or something else? Oh, I think it's a little bit of all of that. Uh, I remember when Victoria's Secret opened in Vancouver and, you know, on St. Yeah. Catherine Street in Montreal. I mean, these were big, splashy openings. And uh, you know, a few years ago, Victoria's Secret was, you know, a really hot retailer. Um, you know, I know when I was full-time with the School of Retailing at University of Alberta, you know, we'd had a partnership with Victoria's Secret. You know, we were all over it. It was exciting. Um, you know, Victoria's Secret stores used to do, you know, pretty high sales. I think West Edmonton Mall at one time, we actually reported this in around 2013 or 14. Uh, it was the second top selling Victoria's Secret store in the entire world after a location wow. uh, in, in Manhattan on Herald Square by Macy's. So, uh, you know, Victoria's Secret was quite productive. But one of the things I thought was really profound, Mario Tonaguzzi wrote that article on Victoria's Secret. And he spoke to Daryl Schmidt, who's vice president, sorry, vice president of retail leasing uh, for Western Canada, for Cadillac Fairview. And, uh, you know, Daryl said something that really confirmed what many of us have suspected, but I actually didn't, you know, have this type of confirmation until it was yeah. published. He said in the last 24 to 28 months, they've seen a deep double-digit uh, comparable sale decline in Victoria's Secret stores across uh, all Cadillac Fairview malls. And, uh, you know, wow. I, I was told that there was, you know, had been a decrease in sales. But that confirmation right there, I think, was really, really interesting. So basically what, you know, he was saying is that, um, they've noticed a real rapid decline in sales in Victoria's Secret. And, uh, you know, some of these leases were coming up for renewal in Cadillac Fairview malls. And, uh, you know, I think that the lease expectation that Cadillac Fairview would have versus what Victoria's Secret would want to pay based on its declining sales, there wasn't a match. So Victoria's Secret, uh, you know, one way or another had an opportunity to exit those malls. And um, I think it's been eight stores since January uh, that have closed for Victoria's Secret in Canada and at least two more are on the way that we know of. Yeah, and it after our last podcast where we talked about Canada's top mall, the sales per square foot concept makes sense to me now, especially if there's expectations by Cadillac Fairview of a certain rent level that Victoria's Secret isn't able to sustain with declining um, sales, right? So 
And when I take a look at the downtown Vancouver location, it's stunning and fabulous. And it's like a great place for it. But uh, no, like, but it's not connected to like a Cadillac Fairview or yeah. Oxford kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. And downtown Vancouver will be really interesting because years ago when I was a kid, that used to be the downtown library. Oh, yeah. And, it looks uh, like a library now. Yeah, think yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of does, yeah. A big glass fronted, you know. It was built in the 1950s. It's actually got a heritage heritage designation of some sort, uh, uh, is my understanding. So, um, you know, it was a library many years ago. Then it became a Virgin Record store, yes. I think. Uh, well, very very large actually, music store. It was, and then I think it was H and M, but it convert from Virgin to H and M. Yeah, or HMV. Yes. HMV. Yeah, HMV. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it, that's right. It went to HMV, and then it closed, oh goodness, a number of years ago. I think that, yeah, I think it was a retail center. It was actually quite new, around 2012, 2013. Uh, that's right, yeah. And then it was announced that Victoria's Secret was coming in, and, and that created quite a splash because, you know, that store is at a very prominent location. It's Robson and Burrard Street, and, uh, uh, you know, it's a big building, so it, it's quite prominent. If that store were to close, I'm not saying it is, but, you know, um, if it were, you know, it might be a bit challenging to say subdivide it just because of that heritage designation yeah. of the building because, yeah, with that status, the um, you know it's it's very much a glass front. Uh, you know, if brands wanted to say open multiple stores going down Burrard Street, they would want to sort of have their own customized facades. I think that would be challenging. So, if Victoria's Secret were to lose one tenant, would probably make sense. My, I would be I put a little bit of money at least on Uniqlo being the tenant that would move in there if anything would would come in. Uh, you know, the broker that represents Victoria's Secret in Canada represents Uniqlo. So, uh, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Yeah. Well, and when the big splashy opening of that was occurring, like well, for me, when I think of Victoria's Secret's fashion show, it's big, it's splashy, but I can also see how they may be losing touch with the marketplace, uh, mainly because like mm-hmm. I look at this, did a little bit of research on Wikipedia, which I learned everything from Wikipedia. Um, they're saying that uh, Public Health of Canada is reporting that in 2017, 64% of Canadians over the age of 18 are overweight or obese. Which um, so if the majority of Canadians aren't necessarily fitting the Victoria's Secrets fashion show kind of, you know, mental image, then that's not going to play out well for them if they're not updating for um, what a lot of their competitors are doing, you know. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, and, you know, was Victoria's Secret carrying plus sizes? I mean, I think it had a few larger sizes, but, you know, certainly the ethos was, you know, thin and sexy and, uh, you know, like they were running supermodels down the runway, right? So I think that we're seeing a bit of a shift in, you know, what the consumer is looking for and embracing. I mean, we've had, you know, the Me Too movement, uh, which just sort of desexualized parts of society quite recently, I think, uh, um, you know, we do have, a, you know, consumers being a bit larger, but I think that the, you know, the perception of what beauty is has expanded quite a bit. I mean, it's become more multicultural. I think it's become more multi-size. Uh, we are seeing brands like, say, Nixware, I think that's what it's called. We reported on them uh, a little while ago, you know, being a bit more of an inclusive brand. And I think competition to a degree as well. I mean, uh, uh, you know, La Vion Rose, which is, uh, you know, based out of Montreal, is really quite successful, mm-hmm. I was told. Like, you know, they're, they're doing quite good sales, you know, and, and they carry a wide range of sizes. Um, there may be less competition, however. I think La Senza uh, is pretty much going to be closing all of its stores. I mean, uh, we're just seeing how things are, mm-hmm. are playing out there. But, um, you know, that actually was owned by L, L Brands, which, uh, you know, till very recently owned Victoria's Secret. Uh, 
but they, 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 I think they sold it in early 2019 to a Beverly Hills based firm. I think it was called Regent actually, if I can recall correctly. And so, uh, you know, we may lose another uh, underwear lingerie oh, yeah. retailer in Canada, which was founded actually in Montreal. But, uh, you know, I mean, with, Victor- with Victoria's Secret, yeah, it remains to be seen what's going to happen with that. But, uh, and that. That would be quite a shock if all of the stores closed in Canada yeah. at some point. But but who knows? I mean, Pier 1, you know, close is announced it's closing all of its Canadian yeah. stores and some, you know, American retailers do that, right? Yeah, and before we move on to that, I just wanted to mention some of the research I did around the Victoria's Secret ethos. Um, like specifically, like the fashion show that they are normally doing every single year is cancelled for 2019. Thank you, Wikipedia, for this info. But it looks like viewership fell from 9.2 million to 3.2 million between 2014 and 2018, which is like yeah, a third. So it's for the brand as a whole, that's not necessarily a good indication of support. Um, even just tone at the top, you look in November in 2018, again, thank you, Wikipedia, the company's chief marketing officer had to apologize for insensitive comments uh, over time. Like, for example, um, I think it was a, an interview with Vogue where he had suggested that the fashion show did not mm-hmm. cast trans women and as, as well as not um, casting plus size models in the show. So it's maybe not moving on, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think we'll see that with retail generally in Canada. I mean, another thing that was said mm-hmm. in the article about Victoria's Secret was that they'd anticipated, you know, 15 to 20 really great high productive stores and Victoria's Secret ended up opening something like 40 of them in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh and that may have been too many. I mean, a lot of retailers, I think, have, you know, over the years overexpanded their stores. We talked about Bentley Leathers a while ago as well. Yes. And, uh, you know, Walter Lamoth, the CEO, is saying, yeah, I mean, 250 stores is a lot for, for a type of store like Bentley. Uh, if anything, you know, I think they closed 88 of them, or I think they may have closed all of those stores. And, uh, you know, they may still want to, you know, call a few more of them at some point. So, you know, these days, retailers, if they have a great online presence and social media, don't necessarily need a ton of stores um you know people can order things online they can go to a store to check things out i mean retail stores do give a retailer a level of credibility that they may not necessarily have just being online having that physical presence i think is important but it's probably not needed to be as extensive you know in decades past before people were shopping online and before the internet existed the way that a retailer would you know expand would be to possibly open more stores and hopefully those would make money and you open more stores and make more money and and, you know things have changed that's not really you know the way it is anymore so much i mean in some cases it is, but it was say a convenience store like 7-Eleven uh, or Winners and Marshalls. But, you know, for, for some retailers, yeah, they don't really need that many stores, but, you know, it's still good to have some. Well, when I was uh, thinking back to other podcasts that we've done, Forever 21, when they exited, they then announced that they were going to beef up their online um, version of the stores. And then there was a whole discussion we had about like, you know, paying duty and so on. But when I'm looking at our third article that we wanted to talk about, which is Pier 1 Imports closing all the Canadian stores, there was a mention that they were going to continue on an online presence perspective too. So um, so moving into this other article, uh, first off, like for Pier 1 Imports, how did we find out about its closure? Was it just like a press release or did we find it through um, like Insolvency Insider or some other way? Yeah, it was a press release. Um, okay. It was actually on Family Day. 
uh, at least family in Ontario. And yeah, a press release came and said that there's going to be, I think they said there was going to be a filing the next morning and they sent it out to various all kinds of news agencies. So uh, yeah, it wasn't like an exclusive tip or anything like that, right. but, uh, and, and we, you know, I, I ran, I was getting ready to head to an airport for a reason, but um, you know, I, I quickly wrote something up there and uh, it was surprising, but it wasn't, I mean, when forever 21 or sorry, when Pier one, I'm sorry, said that it was going to be closing, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's stores a while ago, a whole bunch of them anyways, I think 450, uh, you know, my thought was, well, you know, in Canada, it sometimes costs a bit more money to do business in Canada for retailers that are say American, for example. Um, you know, sometimes American retailers will announce they're closing all their Canadian stores. So when they announced it, I honestly wasn't surprised, but, you know, still jumped on the story because it was, you know, quite, uh, you know, it is still a lot of real estate yeah. that's going to be vacated. Right. So, um, in terms of it having that online store without the physical stores, they might make a few sales on that website, but probably not a ton. I mean, if Canadian, it's kind of like Forever 21, if Canadians aren't embracing the brand, are they going to, you know, only go online to buy something? And are they willing to pay those duties and taxes? I exactly. mean, if, if uh, Pier 1 doesn't have the warehouse uh, in Canada that they're going to fulfill these from, and if there's going to be those duties and taxes, then it's not really going to be, you know, of great value to, say, Canadians wanting to order unless they really have their heart set on something that Pier 1 has created. Now, what's the difference uh, that you're seeing with this um, closure of um, Pier 1 imports versus the closure of Forever 21? Are, are they victims of the same not keeping up with the times, not being relevant, like, or is there complete differences on why one's closing all the stores in Canada versus the other closing all the stores in Canada? Uh, I think it's similar to a degree. I mean, you know, Forever 21 as a fast fashion retailer, um, you know, I I think there was a, a quality issue there. I mean, the stores were you know, becoming quite unremarkable, in some cases cluttered even. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't a retailer that I really saw people uh, you know, getting excited about as they were in the past. Yeah. Not really. Well, forever tw- or, and with Pier 1, it's, they almost have ones in them, so I'm getting confused. With Pier 1, um, you know, I, I think it might be a, the same to the degree. I mean, I've been to... Uh, uh, a few stores, uh, you know, Pier 1 locations. And I thought, well, these, these are nice, but I mean, the prices, they're not the lowest and they're not the highest. And, you know, the style has sort of a unique look. Someone on our Facebook page for Retail Insider commented that, you know, Pier 1 is great if you want to furnish your home like this TV set of the Golden Girls. But, you know, some people yeah. do <laughs> like that style. But, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, we've really seen furniture skewed to be quite modern recently. Yes. Uh, we've also seen a lot of competition. I mean, Wayfair, uh, you know, does, uh, you know, have Canadian operations online and, you know, it's a value priced uh, home goods retailer article, which is based in Vancouver. The online uh, furniture retail has seen explosive growth. I mean, we've reported on them quite a bit. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of competition. Um, there's, I think there's other issues. I mean, are Canadians moving as much? Are they buying as much furniture? furniture, the cost of living has gone up, there's record high debt, uh, you know, people are, are stretched financially, they may be holding off on buying furniture purchases, uh, uh, you know, Canadians generally are having less kids, I mean, we have increased immigration, but, you know, if you look at the demographics, uh, uh, you know, are they conducive to furniture buying, and then, uh, you know, are they the right size of furniture? We've seen housing booms in Toronto and Vancouver, but a lot of them are, you know, involving smaller, say, condominium and apartment residences, which can't fit pieces of furniture. So if retailers aren't, you know, jumping on the small furniture bandwagon, they could stand to lose out. 
Well, in our last special edition um, podcast that we did was with an uh, interview with retail expert uh, Ramesh Venkat from the David Sobey Center for Innovation and Retailing Services. There was a really good comment in there that he had, like millennials, for example, are not necessarily leaving home um, uh, you know, until later years, which is if they aren't going to buy homes and they aren't buying all the stuff to fill the homes and that really affects a lot of that stuff, which would then affect potentially like Pier 1. I've enjoyed those stores before, especially like around the Christmas season where you would go buy seasonal kind of things. I, I haven't felt like it was um, as uh, disorganized and potentially a little icky to walk through like a Forever 21 store that you were kind of mentioning in the past. But so I, I yeah, but at the end of the day, it's it's a sad it's a sad story for poor Pier 1. I would I'm definitely seeing like I, I drive by one every day. And there's big banners of, you know, store closing, uh, nothing held back and stuff. So it's definitely like imminently going to be shutting down. But is there like a drop dead, like everything is done by, you know, April 1st or something like that? Or is it just shutting down? It depends. It's sort of when the clearance can be completed. And I I think Richter is the, uh, you know, designated, uh, you know, is, is doing the clearances right now in Canada. Um, I'll actually have to, like, no joke, pop by one of the stores. Uh, I'm in Alberta right now, and, uh, you know, there's one not too far away and, and ask. But sometimes, uh, you know, it can be done within a period of weeks. So it's sort of like, you know, when is the product going to be cleared out? They, they may actually set, you know, a general timeline. But I know, for example, with Links of London, uh, which was a Richter uh, in clearance as well, they were telling me, they said, yeah, it's within a few weeks. We're just sort of seeing how long it takes to clear out the product. And I think that once, you know, enough of it was gone, they would shut the store down. So. Uh, in some cases, some you know retailers will say, this is our debt. It's going to be March 31st. All stores will be closed at that date or before. So I, I think it's sort of case by case. But you know, I think that there is sort of a general you know, understanding of the, you know, it's not going to take a two years to clear this stuff out type of thing, but uh, it may not always be totally concrete at the same time. I think it's, it's quite situational. And that's a wrap for the podcast, Craig. Thanks for going through our popular content for the past week. And we just wanted to remind everyone that we do have an email newsletter that you can subscribe to that goes out every morning with a link to the Canadian retail news from around the web that we've curated from the previous day, as well as links to our recently published articles that are exclusive to Retail Insider. And if you go to our website, retail-insider.com, you can find the subscribe area at the very bottom of the main page and get that email into your inbox every morning. So thanks for listening to this podcast. Please do subscribe to be notified when new episodes are published, but also to help boost our discoverability rating so that others can find us too. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do give us a rating from wherever you listen to this podcast from. Thanks again, everyone, and talk to you all next week. Thank you so much, everyone.